Father, we thank you for another occasion, this side of eternity, to open your word and to read its pages, glean from its truth. We need your wisdom, we need your help, we need your anointing, we need your touch. Help us, O Lord, at this preaching event today, in Jesus' name, that lives would be touched, hearts would be blessed, and if changing and adjustments need to be made, God, help us to be dutiful and make those changes in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. How many said with these people a few minutes ago, the battle is the Lord's? The battle is the Lord's. We've talked many times about spirituality. What is spirituality? What does it mean for a person to say that he is spiritual, a spiritual person? Sometimes we get that confused with demonstrativity, and we think that the loudest and the fastest is the most spiritual, but that's not necessarily true. And uh, you should never use bodily exercise or any outward things like that to determine a person's walk with God or their amount of the Holy Spirit they have in their lives. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in outward expressions of an inward manifestation. But I don't believe that you should determine the spirituality of a person by how demonstrative they are and how, how much bodily exercise is involved in that. Now, I thank my God, as Paul said, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I thank my God I outshout you all. When it comes to shouting, you're not going to beat me. Amen. I'm chief aisle runner. I'm chief dancer. I'm, I do all those things. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't make me spiritual. No, the things that make me spiritual are things not seen by this physical eye. They're matters of the heart. They're matters of the inner man. Peter called him the hidden man of the heart. And some of the most deeply spiritual people that I know are relatively passive about doing what I do all of my life. And I can't say they aren't spiritual because they just know God in a different way than I know him. And they're more intimately involved with him in a manner that's foreign to me. Amen. I, when I pray, I like to walk when I pray. Yeah, I, I pray walking. I, I preach walking and I pray walking. I sing walking. Hey, that's just me, but that don't mean you got to do like me. That's just my outward expression of the inward joy and peace that I have in the Lord Jesus. And that inner man, that hidden man of the heart, is the one that is involved in the battles. Amen. This flesh, hey, it's a, it's a wimp. It gets beat all the time. The Bible said any effort of the flesh is futile. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible said. Every attempt at earning salvation is futile and nil for me. I can never, ever earn God's grace. I can never give enough to deserve God's grace. It's unearned and it's unmerited. Yet there is a battle that is fought between the flesh and the spirit. The Bible said, for the spirit warreth against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth or warreth against the spirit. And the twain are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, it's not really about you. It's what's going on inside you. And many of you, as I've said oftentimes, want to change what's going on around you. But you can never change what's going on around you until you change what's going on inside you. 
Amen. And if Christ be in you, touch your neighbor and say, in you. If Christ be in you, then that is the hope of glory. That is the joy that's unspeakable. That's the peace that passes all understanding. But we know that God tells us in his word that that is a battle that we have to fight. In fact, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, he is told, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. When you got saved, when you were born again and became a new creature in Christ Jesus and old things were passed away and all things became new, you became a soldier. Became a soldier in the Lord's army. That's exactly right. And the Bible said, no soldier, Paul said this, that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. Every one of us in this room are soldiers. We're involved in a conflict. The conflict is between God and Satan. The conflict is between right and wrong. The conflict is between light and darkness. All of those nuances, those, those notions are indicative that when you get saved, it comes with a territory. There is an adversary that must be fought. There's a battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three enemies and adversaries of us all would drain us spiritually and render us powerless if it were possible. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Somebody shout victory. Victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, every one of us in this room then are battling with something. Every one of us are battling with things that are attached to the world, the flesh, or the devil. All of those things. He is at work. He is at work. He spends all of his time making devices. The Bible said we're not ignorant concerning Satan's devices. We know that he is constantly coming up with new devices to fight against the people of God. If the devil could, he would destroy this church today. If he could, he would destroy your home and your family today. Jesus said this. You want to know who he is? Ask Jesus. Jesus said this. He's a thief, he's a liar, and he's a murderer. Now, those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. And he said there is that kind of spiritual darkness that is out there for us to wage war against. And I want to tell you, most of this preaching falls on deaf ears. Most people don't really realize the spiritual conflict that's going on. They're so involved in their 40-day work week and the rat race that we call life in the 21st century that little time is given to take thought of what's really going on. What's really going on? I want to tell you, this world is in a, a chaotic mess right now. This world is on a crash course. really is. But I want to tell you, God has not lost his power and God has not lost control. God is still in charge and God is still moving all of history toward a great purposeful end. Yes, he is. 
Uh, don't listen to the doomsdayers and all of this. I, I, I saw on science show the other night that I was watching in the late hours, and this guy said, this earth has about 2.2 billion more years, and then it's going to uh, be dissolved into vapor, and it will be like Saturn or, or Venus, and it'll become a dead planet. I said, let's see, where do I expect to be 2.2 billion years from now? wonder where I'll be pastoring 2.2 billion years from now. Great, Lord. Now, when somebody talk, starts talking to me about what's going to be 2.2 billion years from now, I want to say, what? You know that in 2.2, you've calculated 2.2 billion, and this place is going up in smoke. Well, I'll tell you what God has planned for this earth. In the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, we find out that God, Jesus, is coming back at the second coming riding on a white horse. Yeah, now that's not the rapture. That's not the catchaway. The catchaway is seven years at least before that. And then at the second coming, John said, I saw the heavens open, and here comes Jesus riding on a white horse. And the armies, can you say armies? Armies of heaven followed him. That's us. Glory to God. That's us. Amen. And there, there's going to be a big battle fought called the Gog and Magog. The devil will be locked in his uh, bottomless pit. He'll be loosed after a thousand years in the 20th chapter of Revelation. Thank God's got a lot of plans for this earth. Amen. And the Bible said, John said, I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the former was passed away. When God gets ready for it to pass away, it'll pass away. But when it passes away, God has prepared a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible said, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Oh, glory to God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that God is not going to be defeated in his purpose of having a population on this earth that's going to worship and serve him. His intention was to do that, and he will fulfill that, and that'll happen. But until then, my heart will go on singing, so there's some battles to be fought now. Right now, there's some conflict, and there are battles for us to win. Now, we fight a battle corporately as the church. We know that the devil has plans to undermine the church right now. We know that the devil is in his workshop scheming and drawing blueprints on how to stop us right now. Why? Because you're preaching. The one thing the devil hates worse than anything else is a preacher that'll preach the truth. Hates it. He hates it. If there's anything he wants you to not hear, it's gospel. And he'll make every effort to stop your ears from hearing what the gospel has to say. But I want to tell you, folks, that is our only hope. Our only hope is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we must keep preaching that. We must keep expounding the unsearchable riches of the glorious gospel of Christ. So in this letter written by an apostle in the early church, now I want to tell you the early church had a big fight because there was... 
this empire called Rome, and there were Caesars that sat on the Rome, not Caesars, but Caesars. And we call them the Caesarian rulers. There's Augustus, and there's Nero, and there's Tracian, and all of those historical rulers of the Roman Empire. And to serve God back in that time was very tough because Romans hated Christians and they blamed Christians for everything bad that happened. Sounds kind of like our day, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all our fault now. That's the way it was in the first century. But boy, there's a lot of fighting to do because Timothy here is in a, a fight for survival. He's a pastor of a church. He's experienced the good times when God just blessed him and the church grew exponentially so fast that he didn't know how to handle it. And he wrote to the apostle Paul and said, what do I do? There's only one of me. And he said, you need to create some leadership. You need deacons, servants, not rulers, but servants. You need some deacons and you need some elders in your church. You need people that will help you do the work of ministry. You're right. You're only one person. You can't do it all. You need some help. So the structure of the early church, Paul gave him the structure. The duties and responsibilities. Here's function. Here's what it's all about. Because Jesus didn't tell us how to do that. All Jesus said was, Thou art Peter upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he didn't tell us how to set it up. In fact, it's kind of like this. The senior pastor left and the associates were supposed to run the church and they couldn't figure out who was in charge and they couldn't figure out how we're going to get this done. The senior pastor was Jesus. You're getting the picture. Now he's gone. But he said, I'm coming back. And he said, when I get to God, I'm going to pray for you. And the Father is going to send you the Holy Spirit as in doing you with power so that you can fulfill the great commission. I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I want you to be, be diligent in pursuit of ministry and you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jew Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. But now the senior pastor's gone. And now we've got some guys that were disciples, but now they're called apostles. And now they're in Jerusalem, and now they begin trying to figure this all out. And the first battle we've got to do is what we believe. Because suddenly we had different opinions and we had different ideologies and we've got all guys that'll say, well, we're kind of, our, our roots are Jewish. And we've got these three ceremonies all the time. Is there some way that we can take our, our history uh, as ceremonial and ritual as it is and combine it with this new revelation that we've got in Jesus? So do you see the challenge? The people basically, you ready? Put, poke up your little ears. They were not ready to change. Now let me tell you something. Ready for this one? Every time God gives you a word, he will always disrupt things. 
When God speaks, you can expect a disruption. In other words, things are going to change. They're not ever going to be the same once God gives a word. Here in this early church, we've got these former Jewish, or not former Jewish, they're Jewish, they'll always be Jewish, Jewish apostles. Apostles who for three years went in training to do now the work of ministry. And we've got all these personalities. Did you ever wonder why God had so many personalities among these disciples? One, you've got a, a guy brash like Peter. Always has an opinion, never had a filter. It came out, if it came in his mind, it came out his mouth. And Jesus, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, he said, I will never betray you. Every one of these will lie and cheat and betray you before I do. And when the cock crew, he found out he was one that wasn't as strong as he thought he was. Then you've got that disciple that Jesus loved. What was his name? Little old meek, loving John. Sweet little old John. What an humble man. Man, I love that man. He is so meek. He wouldn't hurt a fly. And then you got James. Well, let me tell you, folks. Let me, let, let me do a little James preaching. Some of you out here got that tongue that's set on cold from the pits of hell out here running your mouth. I'm going to tell you this. You're going to bust hell wide open is what's going to happen to you. Well, now here we've got James and John and Peter and Nathaniel and Bartholomew and Thomas, and we've got them all trying to build a church. And they're working so hard on their opinions and trying to hammer out a reconciliation with what they were raised to believe and now what has been revealed to them in Jesus Let's keep our rituals. We don't want to do away with that. You know, we have big crowds when we have feasts, and we make a lot of money. You know, we sell a lot of animals to kill at these Passover times. You know, it'd be good if we could just kind of do a little bit of both and just say both are right. And so trying to hammer that all out, here comes this guy named Saul. And he's a murderer. He's a killer. He is a... Christian killer. He's an oppressor. He hates Christians. And boy, he is strong to keep what we've always had. He was way over here to the right. James was way to the right. Peter was over to the right. John was over to the right. Saul is standing over here of Tarsus, newly saved. He's way over here on the left. He said, we don't need any of your laws from the past. We don't need any of your rituals and your ceremonies. You can have all of that. It don't matter what you did. don't matter where you've been. It don't matter. The grace of God is sufficient to cleanse the sin out of a man's life. The grace of God is all that we need. There's forgiveness in God's grace. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't need to carry over anything. We just need Jesus and his grace. Now you can see where the battle is. 
buddy, we got a big battle on our hands because Paul just kind of believed that whosoever will can get saved. And these disciples had been taught to believe that salvation is of the Jews. And there's this place up the road at Antioch in Syria, and there were Christians, Gentiles at Antioch, and the Bible said they were first called Christians at Antioch. So we have this big fight. And all, you don't believe churches fight. <laughs> Got this big fight. And the problem is, Peter has been going up here to Antioch and been uh, having church with these guys and uh, kind of acted like they're all just brethren. We're all in this together. And he gets back down here at Jerusalem at the fight. And now we're at the fight, and we're going to find out what, what we really believe. And, and Peter says, well, I'm kind of over here with James and these boys about this. I don't know about these Gentiles. And here comes this apostle Paul out and says, Peter, I rebuke you to your face. You've been up here carrying on with these Antiochans. And now you want to be a hypocrite and act like you don't even know that Gentiles had been saved while you preached to them. And now it's time to stand up and look somebody in the eye and say, here's what I believe. And you want to cow down in a corner. You need to stand up and say what you really believe and what you really mean. Woo. Wow. When... Dust all settled. They said, well, we're going we're we're to do this. You can go ahead and let these people have Jesus, say that they're saved. Let's say that they're Christians. But, said, but don't eat any kind of meat that's offered to idols. And don't eat anything strangled with blood. Had to get some licks in. Well, I'm sure they didn't have any problem with that. They said, in fact, the Bible said they consented to that. Hallelujah, peace at last. We're going to let Gentiles be saved. We're going to let Gentiles experience forgiveness of sin. Hey, that's a great fight that's over, great fight that's won, isn't it? How many of you come into this room today with a fight going on in your life? Maybe a fight with finances. Maybe a fight with health. It may be a fight with marriage. It may be a fight with children. It may be a fight with boss and job. But every one of us have battles that we go through because that's what life is. And when he said fight this good fight of faith, there are things in life that challenge your faith. Things that happen in our world that challenge our faith. How many of you know what IQ is? That's how smart you are. It really means how much potential there is up there for you to learn. It's called the intelligence quote, quotient. You see, the intelligent quotient tells you how much space you've got to grow, your intellectual capacity. But it's possible for you to be intellectually smart and emotionally a mess. I wish getting smart would solve stuff. I wish there was some degree offered at college in a curriculum that you could get a degree and get a major in that category and suddenly you'd arrived and you had everything under control. 
I wish I knew somebody that had everything under control. I wish I did. I mean, since coming here today, I was last night with Martha in the late. I was with a young man at 43 years of age. This week, his liver quit. His uh, kidney shut down, lying up there in a coma. I was up there last night with that family in the hospital, and they'd given him up to die. Every family, his two daughters standing there weeping, they've got real, real trouble. Real battles going on. Real battles. Anybody in this world know what I'm talking about? Real battles. Real life battles. Real life battles. I had a discussion with a guy this, this week that he has uh, been diagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy, some kind of dystrophic diseases. And he knows what's lying in his future. And he talked to me. He said, I'm so scared. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know, I don't know what they tell me is going to happen, but who's going to take care of my wife and my kids? Who's going, to, who's going to carry on? He's fighting a real battle today. Now, how do you tell somebody that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong and Jesus will help you and Jesus will touch you? And he says, well, look at me. What can Jesus do for me? Unless you can break that down and become spiritual and physical and show that it's better to be spiritually healed than it is to be physically healed. That Jesus can do something for you for eternity that doctors could only do something for you temporarily. If you can see the big picture, get your, get your eyes off the little picture and look at the big picture and see the big picture, then you'll realize that godliness with contentment is great gain. Intelligence quotient. That means can God get to me? Can God speak to me? If God were to speak to me, would I have the IQ, the spiritual IQ to understand what God is saying to me? So many seek God for answers, but they don't know the method to go about doing that. The next quotient I want to talk to you about is your emotional quotient. Sometimes when you're in the battle Emotions just get all out of control. I've seen people when they were fighting a battle, I've heard them scream, I've heard them holler, I've seen them throw things when they just lost control of their emotions. Sometimes your EQ just gets completely out of balance. It's the ability to use emotional information to guide our behavior and to manage and to adjust our emotions. Just because you're intellectually smart, that doesn't mean you're emotionally balanced. There are so many people who call Jesus Lord, but they're so emotionally out of balance. Are you kidding me, Pastor? Someone will ask sometimes when a Christian goes through a difficult thing, they'll say, how do you do that? Boy, if that was me, I would, I would be climbing the walls. I'd be scratching and clawing. I'd be. If you don't have your emotions under control, if your emotions are raging out of control, then you need to spiritually get control of that. You just can't fight the battle when your emotions are all over the place. The last one is the AQ. That's the ability. How can you adapt to change? 
How well you adapt to change determines how far you're going to be able to go. Your AQ is more about how far God can use you. It's a gift from God that you can be adaptable, that whatever comes your way, you can adapt to it. How can I adapt to the negative things that are going on in my life? Well, let me tell you how you do that. You put Jesus first. The problem is you have elevated that situation till it has become more important to you. You think more about it. You talk more about it. You address it more. You meditate on it until it becomes more of a primary concern than Jesus is. And somehow you've got to reduce the amount of time and effort and energy you spend with that problem, that battle, and you've got to elevate the time that you spend with Jesus Ah, y'all not listening to me. All right, everybody put your phone up now. Give me about 10 more minutes and I promise I'll, I'll get you out of here. You've got to elevate Jesus and you've got to de-elevate the battle that you're fighting. If you spend all of your time on that problem, then Jesus has little time to do any work in you. Sometimes fighting that battle becomes so weary, so tired of it. Have you ever just been under a load until every day you shouldered that load and you wore that collar and you bore that burden day after day after day and it just keeps hanging there? Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and still you're fighting that, that same battle. Can you imagine what that was like with the Apostle Paul that had that thorn in the flesh? Can you imagine what it was like for him? Every day was a slugfest with the devil. The Bible said there was given to me a messenger of Satan. How would you handle a messenger of Satan? Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. There is a spirit of Satanism that is loose in the world. He is called the prince and the power of, did you say the air? So then the prince and the power of the air the Bible said he's walking about, he's loose, seeking whom he may devour. It's just the grace of God that has defended you and guarded you and your family from what the devil wants to do to you. You say, oh, I'm not worried about anything like that, Brother Jerry. I challenge you, when I get through here, get in the car with me. I'll take you up there to RMC, to room 1604, and I'll walk you in a room where a 43-year-old is lying there that last Sunday was in church reading the Bible and praying. But in one week's time, he's up there flat of his back dying, and his organs are shut down. Oh, I don't know. And wife and children are up there battling. 
Brother Irwin, would you pray for him? Would you just please pray for him? Anything that can happen to, to help. Many of you are sitting right here. You've got children that are addicted to drugs. Wearing the life out of you. You don't know what in the world you're going to do. You're fighting that battle. Fighting that battle. Every week, parents come to me, wringing their hands, Pastor, what am I going to do? Grandparents telling me their grandkids are breaking into their house, stealing things and going and pawning them so they can buy drugs. Well, I, don't, I thank God I don't have that. Well, I need to tell you, the devil is a merciless force that is trying to kill us all. Your family, your business, everything you've got, the devil would love to attack that and destroy it, and we battle against it. Here's your one. It's in 1 Corinthians. The weapons of our warfare. Are you kidding me? You mean Christians are in a war? Are you telling me that there's some uniform we're supposed to wear? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. They're not weak. They're not frail. They're not faulty. They're powerful. They're mighty. They're mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. Oh, God, help people at harvest to gather them a weapon and tear down these strongholds that have tried to govern and manipulate and destroy their lives. Mighty, mighty weapons. If you could get close to a warrior, a spiritual warrior, you'd see a helmet of salvation on him. If you could get close enough, you'd see a breastplate of righteousness. If you were to get close enough to him, you'd find shoes that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You'd find in his hand a sword that is called the word of God. And by the spirit of God, he wields that sword and fights those spiritual battles. Hey, he's not afraid to step into the fray. And others are turning around saying the cost is too great. When others are turning aside and saying, I'm not willing to pay the price. God's got somebody that'll stand in there and make up the hedge. Somebody that'll say, I refuse to be defeated. I refuse to lose. A few Sundays ago, I was absent. I went with Al and Gail Bristow to a church that had died and they were going to sell the property. I went because Brother Fincher was one of the former pastors at that church. When he was there, it ran 150. Great church. 
Cindy grew up in that church. I married Debbie while Brother Fincher pastored that church. When I walked in and sat down in that church, Gail came in, Al came in. Besides me and Brother Fincher and Al and Gail, there was five members that were present. Now, as we drove away from that and headed back this direction, I said, God, there's just a step between having a strong church and having one that we have to sell because nobody goes there. We closed the Fultondale Church not long ago, Brother Ford. Sold the property. Oh, that'll never happen in Anniston, Brother Jerry. We'll always. If the devil could have his way today, he'd put a for sale sign out there on that front so that thousands of cars would see the defeatism and the embarrassment of what you thought you wanted to do and what you thought you could do and the world would snicker and laugh and scorn and make their smutty remarks about the people of God. I talk to pastors in this town, you do too. And I want to tell you, every one of them are in a fight, in a struggle. Every church I know is fighting the battle. Fighting the battle. Why, pastor, suddenly has all of this come to be? Because the Bible says that the enemy knows his time is short and that he's stepping up the intensity. Stepping up the intensity. And I want to tell you, from here till rapture day, you can expect things not to get better for churches, but you can expect things to become more of a difficulty, a battle to win, a war to wage, a fight to engage in. And we can shrug our shoulders and just sit here and dry up. That's what happened at Brantleyville. That's what happened at Fultondale. As people became so casual, so casual about their church and what they believed that it gave opportunity for the enemy to come in and destroy it. Weary with that battle. You see, when you put your life into the hands of God, you're saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. I gave this to God a long time ago. I couldn't carry it. It's his. It's not mine. It's his. You know, so many times people fight for vengeance. Do you know that? They're so angry at somebody that did them wrong that they never stop fighting. I hope today you can stop fighting. Why, Pastor? Because the Bible said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If you'll let God take care of that part, he doesn't need your help. 
He does not need your help. God said, I, I will repay, God said. You don't have to worry about inflicting pain on somebody that's hurt you. Don't worry about it. God will do that. God will take care of that. When you put things into the hands of God, you need to understand God has never fought a battle he didn't win. God has never seen a need he couldn't meet. God has never, ever seen a hurt that he couldn't heal. He's never seen a person that he doesn't love. Never seen a soul that he couldn't save. He's never seen a burden that he couldn't bear. There's never been a promise that he wouldn't keep. There's never been a problem that he couldn't solve. He is a God who said, I am the God of your salvation. I'm the rock, I'm the rock, and when your heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to that rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If the Lord build not the house, they labor in vain that build it. Brother, if you're not going to build it by God's grace and God's help, then you're laboring in vain. If you're building you something you can boastfully throw out your chest about, then you might not expect God to do anything about that. But if you built it to win souls, if you built it to get people into a relationship with God, if you built it so people could grow in grace, if you built it so people could hear the unheralded word of God, oh, if you built it for the right thing that God said, I'll build it too. I'll join with you. I'll help you build it. Hallelujah. Come on, Vincent, help me. Victor. Call him Vincent. Victor. You see, when Paul got saved, brother, things really got stirred up. He stirred up a stink because... He started doing things in an unusual way. You see, sometimes we want to throw rocks at somebody that does things a different way. I'm going to let that soak just a little bit. Sometimes we're so intolerant of someone who sees a different way that something could be done. Sometimes we want to call them names and we want to make snide remarks because they don't want to do the way we have always done. I love to preach for some of our African-American brethren. I was preaching the camp meeting in Michigan. And one night after service, there was a four or five wonderful African-American gentlemen that approached me and said, we're from the Zion AME Church. And they said, we have a camp meeting over here in Flint, Michigan. And we want to invite you to come and preach our camp meeting for us. 
Shannon and I got on one of big 707s and I flew to Detroit. They picked me up in a limousine. They took me to the Westin. Had a person assigned for me to just tell him what I wanted. Chauffeured me back and forth. Guarded me like I was the president. I found out they didn't do things like I always did things. And I, I learned that you can enjoy being in something that you've never done before. I know one thing, Charles, I shouted my shoe heels off up there. Preached and had a biggest time ever. There was a pastor there, his name is Ken Shelton. He attended that meeting. He does inner city ministry in Detroit, Michigan. Right down on, I think, Market Street. Prostitutes, drugs, walking down the street. Walk right into a storefront building there, into a, a church. All of them sitting on the floor, didn't have chairs. So they just sat on the floor. They sang, and buddy, I'm telling you, boy, these folks really blessed me here with this great singing. I love it when people can sing that can sing. There's nothing worse than having to listen to somebody sing that can't sing. <laughs> boy, these folks couldn't carry a tune in a surf bucket with a lid on it. It, as Barney would say, it hurts your flesh to listen to that singing. Off key, Lord of mercy, flattening and sharpening all over the place. But buddy, they had a glow about their face and they'd have them antennas up in the air and the joy, the joy of the Lord all over them because he'd got them off the street. They'd walk out on the street and say, hey girl, come on in here. God will save you. God will change you. God will clean you up. God will give you a new life. Pastor's hooked up with some folks in here. We can get you a job. You don't have to get out here hawking on the street. We can get you a job. Woo! You know what I did? I invited them to sing at the camp meeting. And you know how my African-American folks can sing in that choir. And in that temple I was in over there at, at Flint, buddy, they all had their pretty robes on. And there's from down at the big church in Detroit. And they were swaying. They were doing all that. I thought, praise the Lord, they're going to love my little choir. <laughs> when it comes time for me to preach, I said, I've got some guests here tonight. I met them downtown, right downtown Detroit. And I said, they're coming up here. They're going to sing right before I preach tonight. Jesus lost me that I owe. They were all over the place. <laughs> but buddy, they put them antennas up and started singing about Jesus. Couldn't sing a lick. But you know what? The power of God fell in that place. That little old choir stirred them people up and they got to shouting and rejoicing and praising God. Wow. Wow. 
What are you talking about, pal? I'm talking about people that won the battle. I'm talking about people that defeated the drugs. I'm talking about people that got off of the addiction. I'm talking about people that left their old way of life and started a new life in Christ, a life that they called abundant life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's the kind of folks Paul reached. And the folks down at Jerusalem said, I don't know if we ought to go along with that or not. Paul said, how in the world can you forbid them fellowship? How in the world can you tell them that they can't be saved? Said, I'm here to tell you God died for them. Jesus died for them just like he died for you. Hallelujah. And he said, if they accept the shed blood of Jesus for remission of their sin, it shall be forgiven. And they're part of the body of Christ. They're in the church just like you. And I'm not saying that you just do that because you arrive. That young minister, his mama was Barnabas' sister. John Mark, he wanted to start ministry. He said, Uncle Barney, I want to go with you and Paul when you go. He said, come on, son, you'll learn some good stuff. Well, they got on the way and he found out that preaching the gospel is not an easy thing. And one day they looked around for him and he'd quit. He quit. He quit. He got so weary with the battle, got so tired of fighting, got so tired of pressing on that he said, I can't do this no more. I can't stand this. Back at my mama's church, while they all love people, love one another, I do good around there. I'm out here in these heathen places like Ephesus. And my Lord, there's so much ungodliness here. We could never, ever overcome all that. I I tell you what, this is just futile. I'm going home. I quit. Well, next time they had the meeting down at Jerusalem, started sending out missionaries. Paul and Barnabas said, well, we'll go again. And said, we'll chart a new trail this time. And John Mark walked up and said, hey, I want to go with you. And Paul said, no, son, you're not going with me. Now, Barnabas is called the son of consolation. He, is a little bit, he had a little bit tender heart than Paul did. Paul said, you're not going with me. You're that one that quit on me. You're the one that betrayed me and turned and run when things got tough. So I don't need you. And Barnabas said, now listen, he's my sister's son. And this is kind of in the family, you know. And I need to let, let my nephew go with us. Paul said, I told you he's not going with me. And the Bible said the contention between them was so sharp that they parted ways. And Barnabas and John Mark went one way and Paul and Silas said, let's go up at that Philippian place and get in jail so God will save the jailer. So they took off at Asia Minor. But when Paul came down to the end, he wrote in his letter to Timothy, he said, when you come to me here in Rome to the prison, said, bring my cloak, which I left at Troas, and said, bring the parchments, bring my library. I need my library. Well, you're going to die, man. They're going to take you out to Nero's chop block and chop your head off. What do you want to study about? I'm still in a battle. And I need my parchments. I need my books. I need to read about the love of God. I need to read about salvation by grace. I I need my parchments. Bring my parchments with you. Glory to God. And he said, oh, yes. When you come, bring John Mark 
with you because he's profitable unto me for the ministry. Stand with me, please. There used to be an old song when I was a kid. The title of it was, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Am I a soldier of the cross? Oh, yeah, it's old as it can be. 1948 General Assembly, the man that started this church, his name is J.B. Ellis. J.B. Ellis, 100 years ago, came to this town and put up a tent over in Zen Park, preached a revival, and organized with 17 members. 17 members. He was at the General Assembly in 1948 in Birmingham, Alabama. How about that? Only one ever had here. Brother Ellis was sitting on the stage and he had a cane and he was tapping that cane and singing, Am I a soldier of the cross? And suddenly the Lord gave him the invitation. Which one's that? That one that Martha's about to get. That one that the Lord don't change things. That Alan Robertson is about to get. Which one's that, Pastor? That invitation to come home. Glory to God. And old brother J.B. Ellis, sitting on the stage at the General Assembly, died and went to heaven. What a place for our founder to go to heaven. <laughs> Amen. The man that had a, had a desire to come here and preach. You're standing here today because J.B. Ellis allowed himself to be used of God to go preach Jesus in a town he didn't know. I challenged everybody in our Wednesday night class to be an Onesiphorus. Well, I can even say that, Brother Jerry. Who was he? Paul said, he often refreshed me in the ministry, and he understood my chain. Understood my chain. An encourager is what Onesiphorus was. Are you an encourager? Is there anybody in this house that would say, Brother Jerry, I'd like to be one. I'd like to be one. Well, if you're sincere in that, turn to that person beside you and encourage them for just a little bit. Well, how do I do that? Tell them the Lord is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Turn to somebody and encourage them by just saying, trust in God. He never fails. Just turn to that person and say, you're a child of God. That means God cares for you. What do I do in my battle, Brother Jerry? Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Cast all of your care upon him because he cares for you. Don't you take that battle out of here. Don't you take that fight back through them doors. You bring it down here and say the battle is the Lord's. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to turn that whole care over to God. It's his. I won't worry or fret no more about that. I've given it to God. God said, give it to me. I said, God said, give it to me. How, how about you just give it to God this morning, would you? God, in Jesus' name right now, we just give it to you. Mm. Wow, I felt some power when I said that. Did you? Hey, how about doing like this? Throw it off like a...
There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Just, just throw it off. Oh, burden. Oh, bad feeling. Oh, depression. Oh, pessimism. In Jesus' name, I'm going to throw it off. Throw it off. I'm going to cast my care. I'm tired of carrying it around. I'm weary. I'm tired. God, you said you wanted it. I'm just going to give it to you. Give it to God. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to remind people that Jesus is right for whatever's long, that there are many afflictions for the righteous, but your word said the Lord delivers him out of them all. Your word tells us with great tribulation we would enter in the kingdom of God, but I know, Lord, that in every tribulation, you're the God of all grace, and you see us through every situation. We're more than conquerors, more than winners, through Jesus Christ who loved us. Dismiss us now from this place, but not your care. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You ought to feel a little bit lighter now since you gave it to him.